So I hear these phrases a lot. I asked God to take away my cancer. He did not. I asked God that no child would go hungry tonight. He did not. I asked God to give me a spouse. He did not. In in all of the arguments that I've heard about disbelief in God, one of the most effective is when someone says that they prayed for something and they didn't get exactly what they wanted. So in their opinion, God just didn't come through for them. And it's a really great argument if you think about it because it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for rebuttal from from the other side. And besides, today's scripture does say, ask, and it will be given to you. I mean, at least that's the part that most of us focus on, the part that we, like, if we could, would just cut out of our Bible and frame everywhere, all over the place. But you can't just do that. You have to understand that it's not its own freestanding piece of the word. We have to remember that Jesus didn't just make this this random statement in a vacuum of other words. The whole section, this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount comes after a very lengthy discussion about how, as followers of God, we are to be striving for righteousness and working towards the kingdom of God. If you haven't picked that up in the Sermon on the Mount yet, then I've done something wrong because that's what the whole sermon is about striving towards righteousness and building up the kingdom of God. It also comes right after Jesus explains that we don't have to be worried, we don't have to be greedy, we don't have to take from others, because God, who has clothed the lilies of the field in tremendous beauty, will provide for our needs even more abundantly. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in chapter 6. If you go back, You're going to want to check this out in Scripture. Make sure that your pastor's not lying here. But if you go back and you look at the Lord's Prayer, no matter how how much you wish it to be so, it does not say, and give us this day our daily bread, oh, and throw in a billion dollars, or a spouse, or a cure for cancer. It's not there. So we are a people who are seeking righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, and love. We are praying for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. And although we love to quote, ask and it shall be given to you, Jesus actually gave us two other directives right there, right there in the same breath. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. These are not the same thing necessarily. Jesus is talking to us about persistence. It's not like you just throw something out there into the great beyond and it magically comes to you. This is not what faith is about. There has to be a persistence in that seeking and in the knocking. Persistence is a quality that's becoming alarmingly endangered in our culture because we're an instant world. We're almost at the point where Amazon can give you something within two or three hours right outside your door. So we no longer value that quality of persistence. But to Jesus... It definitely means something. Now, there is, no more, there is no group that is better qualified to understand the concept of what Jesus is saying here than young children on Saturday mornings. I want you to think this through with me. Here's how it works. Young children on Saturday mornings, inexplicably, for centuries, do this. 
they wake up at 5 a.m. Not because they have to go anywhere or do anything, but because it's Saturday, and that just seems like a really good time to be awake at 5 a.m. So then at 5.05 a.m., because they have waited, they have waited that five whole minutes, they creep into your room and they stand three inches from your face and they start poking at you. Mom, mom, dad, are, are you awake? Can we go to the park right now? right now. No, the park is not open. Go to bed. I'm not tired, but I am. So go to bed. 5.45 a.m. You hear this loud crashing sound in the kitchen. Within seconds, it is followed by, it's all good. I was just climbing up the shelves of the refrigerator to get the milk from my cereal. It spilled everywhere, but I've got it under control. 6 a.m. The floor is now clean. You are annoyed. You go into your bedroom. You shut the door. You lock it. You start thinking, do I have any furniture that I can just barricade against this door? And you tell the kids, please, just watch the cartoon. So you throw yourself on the bed knowing full well that it is a matter of moments before they're going to come knocking at that door. 6.15 a.m., knock at the door. Mom, Dad, is the park open yet? They are ready. Ask, seek, knock. It's a persistent endeavor that they have undertaken, and it's one that Jesus has called us to accept, that we're not trying to get to the park. We're striving for righteousness as we look towards the kingdom of God, and we need to do it with the kind of persistence that little ones have on a Saturday morning when they want to go do something. We ask God for the things that are on our minds, and that's usually where we stop. I mean, think about your prayer life. Dear God, I would like this, 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 this. Oh, and thank you for this, but I would also like this, 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 this. With persistence, Jesus is asking us to seek out his righteousness, a freedom from guilt and sin for our lives, and then go knocking on the doors of the kingdom of heaven. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks, that door will be opened. To help us understand that persistence pays off when we are seeking the things of God, Jesus goes a little further in, in his sermon. He says, if there's any among you, if your child asks for bread, will give them a stone? Or if a child asks for a fish, will give them a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Now, here's something that we might not all want to admit to. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect parent because there's no such thing as a perfect person. We're reminded just in our daily living that sometimes we really mess things up. We don't like to use the word, but that word is sin. We're sinners. And yet, even in our imperfectness, we still try our best to give good gifts, especially to our children, who represent the least, the most vulnerable amongst us. If a child is hungry, no parent looks at them and says, here, have a stone. Likewise, if they ask for a fish, and just to be clear, Jesus isn't talking about pets here. If they ask for a fish, we don't turn around and give them a snake. So Jesus is saying here that if we, who are admittedly flawed people, 
are still capable of giving good gifts to our children, how much more does our good and perfect God give to those of us who ask him? Now, as you wrestle with this passage, one of the things that will come up is this question about how much more? Like, what are we talking here that that God's going to give us? Well, when you take this part of the sermon out of its context, which which is usually how people study it, you might think, hmm, so if an earthly person would give me this, how much more could I get out of God? And so then you start having those negotiations with God, like, like you're going to fool God. And so you, you lowball your offer, God, I, I need $1,000. But in your head, you're thinking, God is going to give me so much more, I am going to be a millionaire. That's how we start that bargaining and negotiations with God. And I hate to be the one to break the bad news, but that is just not how it works. Our God is not to be manipulated. Here's a more, much more realistic example. One of the things that often comes up with parents when they're getting ready to have a second child is how could I possibly love this child as much as my first child? Will I be taking away love from the first one when the second one comes? It's always something along the lines of division of heart and and time. And so the prayer often goes something like this, Lord, just give me the capacity to love my children. And what parents discover is that love multiplies. It doesn't divide. So the request for something that increases one's capacity to love, and it strengthens righteousness, and it honors the kingdom, is a request that God is going to get involved in and is going to multiply for you. That's what Jesus has been teaching us to work towards all throughout the Sermon on the Mount when we ask and persistently pursue these ways of righteousness that further God's kingdom, we can fully expect that God is going to meet our requests. So when we make that prayer, God, please, I pray that no child goes hungry tonight. And then we walk away and we say, okay, well, now it's God's problem. That's not the prayer. The prayer is, God, equip me. Equip me to being a part of making sure that no child goes hungry tonight. That's a request that God's going to get in the middle of and provide that way forward. Once we understand verses 7 to 11, verse 12 makes so much more sense. It's another verse that we just love. We just love to pull this one out, and we frame this one, and we send it to our neighbors, especially when we don't think that they've done right by us. The golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you, it's a basic life premise Almost everybody's heard of it, even if they don't know that it comes out of the scriptures. The crazy thing about it is, just because everybody's heard it, doesn't mean that everyone practices it. But imagine, just imagine for a second, if everyone did. Imagine if we took just just this one verse of scripture, the only verse in the whole Bible, we took this just one verse And everybody in the whole world actually followed just this one verse of Scripture. Can you imagine what the world would be like? What a different place it would be? And and while this phrase, which is actually a command, sounds all warm and, and fuzzy, the truth is we don't like it because we're really selfish people. 
We're really, really selfish people. We tell others to be patient and to wait their turn, but heaven forbid we wait. We don't like to receive those same kinds of instructions. We don't appreciate it when our neighbors throw a really loud party, but then we're completely baffled when they have a concern about our really loud party. Or this one, and I know, I know that you've done this before. You're in a crowded parking lot, right? And you're trolling up and down the aisles. It's kind of like trying to go to, to one of the malls at Christmas time. And so you, you've been going up and down the aisles and all of a sudden you see it. It's like a gift from heaven, an open parking space. But at the same time, you also see somebody coming the other direction, right? And that's when you start making those choices. Do I see their turn signal or do I not? What am I going to do here, right? And then they pull in really fast. Even if you had your turn signal on, they pull in really, really fast. And, and what, what happens is you get irate because they're so selfish. You can't believe they did that. And actually what it is is that you're just upset that you didn't get there first. See, we don't, we don't like it when it applies to us. We just, we just want others to do unto us as, as we might one day possibly do for them. Because we don't want to think about others. We only want to think about ourselves and how other people affect us. And when we think about only ourselves, we hurt so many other people. Our, our culture seems to be unable to see this. When we think about ourselves, we hurt others. But if we do for others as we would want them to do for us, then there would be an end to the hurt that we inflict on other people. Which is why you have to keep this verse so well-rooted within the context of the whole rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because when you take it out on its own, it changes your motivation. Of course, of course I will do unto others as I would have them do to me. That's a quid pro quo. That's, that's how it works. So, of course, I'm going to make you dinner when you're sick. Of course I'm going to do that. But when I get sick, you better be making dinner for me as well. And if you don't, well, then I'm going to be hurt, probably angry. I'm going to judge you. See, that's not where Jesus was going with this at all, but that's how... That's how we want to interpret it. You take this out of context, and the motivation is reciprocity. I'm only doing this just to see what I can get in return. And when that reciprocity doesn't happen, we get angry, and we no longer see the value of doing unto others if we're not going to get anything out of it. But if you leave the verse in the rest of the context of the Sermon on the Mount, then our motivation changes. Because right before Jesus says this, he's just talked about all of these good gifts that we can be confident of that we will receive from God. And therefore, therefore, which is actually, if you go back into the Greek, there's a therefore right before the golden rule. Therefore, since we have a God who gives us all that we need, we can go out into the world and we can give to others what they need, not because we're going to get something back from them, but because God has already given to us. God's love for you is what motivates you to love others. We do not do for other people so that they will do it for us. And that means that we can look at ourselves, something that we're going to do anyway, because we're kind of selfish like that, and ask, what is it that we have needed that God has provided? Can we do that 
for another person. Jesus got that about us. He, he got that we're kind of selfish people, and that's why he chose his words so carefully. And so by considering what we do for the other person, we start with this place of grace instead of looking at them arbitrarily, arbitrarily and just deciding, oh, I know what they deserve. Because God knew what we deserved when he sent Jesus Christ. And we did not, we did not get, brothers and sisters, what we deserved. Verse 12 ends, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus calls this command to do, unto, do for others as you would have them do for you as the very heart of the law and the prophets. So that seems like a weird thing to just tag right into the back. But actually, it's just a different way of Jesus saying what he said repeatedly throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Repeatedly, he said, you have heard it said. So what Jesus is saying here is, once again, guys, I'm not announcing anything that's new or different here. This is straight out of Leviticus. So this is, this is way old school stuff. Jesus is reminding them, you've heard this. We've talked about this before quite a bit. Doesn't mean that we practice it. But it was always the plan. And we, we are the great beneficiaries of something very cool. Because we stand on this side of the resurrection. We can really embrace the plan when we consider what Jesus did for each one of us on the cross. Do unto others as you would have them do for you. Jesus has never asked any of you to get up on a cross and die for him. He's never asked that of you. But he did it. He did it while we were still sinners. Not because he thought he was going to get something out of it, but because he loved us. He loved us, and when we ask and seek and knock for the kingdom of God and its righteousness, God gives us more, more, so that we can go give to others. He's not looking. He's not looking for you to get up on a cross. He's looking for you to be a conduit of his love out in the world. And when you ask and seek and knock for the capacity to do that, God honors it and equips you to go out in the world. See, we can, we can go out and give good gifts to others. The only question, and Jesus is really calling us to account on this, the only question is, will we? Let's pray together. Holy God, we, uh, we confess that we are people who do like to, to cherry-pick our verses we like to put them in a context that applies to our greatest benefit. We confess, especially when we talk about doing unto others as we'd have done to us, that, that what we're really saying is we're looking for that reciprocity. We're looking to, to get something for something. Remind us of your great love for us. Remind us that you gave to us when we deserved nothing. Lord, because of that, because of that, help us to be persistent in our pursuit of righteousness and the kingdom of God here on earth. In your name we pray. Amen.